eyes to see marvelous things in your word. Would you open our hearts and minds to receive your words so that we might be motivated and moved by this text to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, recently I've observed on Facebook a lot of notifications that are time hops and memories. I don't know if you guys get these or not, these time hops or memories from the past. Well, basically they are pictures or posts that we put up in the past, like this happened two years ago or this happened five years ago or this happened 10 years ago on this specific date, right? So you get those various posts. And as I observe these pictures, we often look back at those events and at those times as with, with fondness. There have been some recently that, that fill my heart with joy as I miss the people in the photos and our shared experiences together, right? Some of them have been from uh, previous softball seasons when they pop up, just filled with joy about those experiences. Well, we, we reflect on the good old days, right? We refre- reflect on the good old days in which we look back in the past and how pleasant and better it was than the present time. For me, if you were to consider good old days, the good old days for me might have been in seminary. And yet, right, so I look back with fondness on my time in school, and seminary, and yet, what I often fail to realize and I easily forget was the three hours of sleep in the morning and the two hours of sleep in the night as I worked an overnight shift for five years, right? We, we, just, we just neglect those things when we think of the good old days. You see, we sometimes forget the trials and difficulty of the past, And if we look back on the past with such fondness, the temptation is to leave us, the temptation is to leave us discouraged or disappointed or even complacent in the present. We are prone to say, if only things were the way they used to be. If only things were the way they used to be. And then that produces in our hearts it can, uh, discouragement, disappointment, even despair, and even complacency on, on moving forward and marching forward with where we're currently at. If that's your experience, or if you've ever felt that sort of way, then this passage for you should encourage you, and it should challenge you to, yes, reflect on the past, but it should not paralyze us from marching forward in serving God in the present and in the future. So my hope is that we will be both encouraged and challenged this morning to persevere in the work of knowing Christ and making him known. Last week, last week we observed that the people of Israel were to consider their ways, they were to consider their priorities. They had been focusing on their own homes and their own self-interests at the expense of building God's house. And they responded to that call with, with obedience and fear. And then they got busy doing the work, right? They got busy starting to build the house of the Lord, that that physical temple. And that brings us to our passage this morning, in which discouragement and disappointment begin to settle in as they remember the good old days, as some of them remember the former glory of that temple, of Solomon's temple. And that leads the Lord now to respond again, to encourage them and to strengthen them to persevere in the work that he has called them to. So in our passage, 
I want, I want us to look at three points this morning, and then we'll consider the application at the end. So first, we see the discouragement of the people. The discouragement of the people. We see this in verses 1 through 3. Notice verses 1 through 3. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it, as, is it not as nothing in your eyes? So this is now the, the second message. It's the second message given by the Lord through Haggai the prophet. It's almost, almost one month has passed. Okay? Almost one month has passed since they began working on rebuilding the temple. And, and the Lord, word of the Lord now, it comes again to Haggai to be delivered to the leaders, right? Zerubbabel and Joshua, and also to the remnant of the people, those who responded in obedience and fear to that call. The Lord had stirred in their hearts to begin this building project. So almost one month has passed since that initial work. It's now the seventh month on the 21st day of the month. The date is October 17, 520 BC. The first message, as you recall, came on August 29. It's August 29, 520 BC. Then they begin the work on September 21st. And now it's October 17th. Now, why does this date or time matter? You're like, that doesn't mean anything to me, right? You might think that. This date is significant because this was the seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. This was an annual festival at the end of the harvest season in which God's people would thank God for the harvest. It was a time of joy and celebration. And during this time, they were to live in booths, right? These, these temporary shelters, these, these tents for seven days. So this, this week-long event, right, this festival, they would, they would dwell in these booths, these, these tents, so to speak, for seven days to commemorate that God made the people of Israel dwell in booths when he brought them out of Egypt under Moses, while they wandered in the wilderness, right? So the wilderness wanderings. So they're reliving this wilderness experience following the Exodus just prior to their entrance into the promised land. This would have been quite meaningful for them in Haggai's day who had just experienced a second Exodus from Babylon. Okay, that's, that's what's going on here. Now this feast, it would have been, it would have been met with mixed emotions. They, they would have been filled with discouragement, right? Because as we know from chapter 1, verse 6, and verses 9 and 10, it was a poor harvest. The harvest wasn't good. And we recognize that it was part of, tied to the covenants, right? The harvest wasn't good because of their disobedience to God. And so they're celebrating this Feast of Tabernacles. And not only did this date remind them of their harvest and their deliverance from Egypt as they lived in booths, but this date marked the anniversary, the anniversary of Solomon's dedication of the temple. And that temple had been destroyed 66 years earlier, and they're now in the process of rebuilding it. 
So this would have been another reminder that the temple they were rebuilding paled in comparison to Solomon's temple. A reminder that the glory of that temple in the past was not the same today. You see, one's present circumstances only led to a greater disappointment and despair when reminded of that former glory. Discouragement can settle in when we remember former glorious days when contrasted to one's present situation. And that's what happens here. A time of harvest. A time that should be filled with joy and thankfulness and celebration. Yet the harvest is small. A reminder of the dedication of Solomon's glorious temple. And yet here they are, exhorted to rebuild it. Thinking to themselves, this temple that we are rebuilding, it could never, we can never restore it to its former glory and beauty. And that's what we see here. The Lord says to the leaders and to the people in verse 3, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? It is not Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Some among this group saw the former glory of Solomon's temple. Some among the group saw its splendor and its outward beauty. Some could recall the days in which God's presence dwelt with his people in the temple, the place where they would go and worship the Lord their God. And now, what do they see? It is as nothing in their eyes. And so the people... They they certainly want to give up, right? They just want to give up on this building project because the present temple wouldn't equal the beauty and glory of Solomon's temple. The people are discouraged. And yet, what is remarkable here is that God speaks, right? God speaks and approaches his people in times of despair and discouragement. And as soon as the people are discouraged when reflecting on the past, What does God do? He steps in through the prophets to speak to the people in order to give them courage and strength to move forward. God cares. God cares about the discouragement that you might experience as you serve him. And oh, this is a refreshing word for pastors. It's a refreshing word for deacons, for teachers, for youth leaders, for children's workers. For those who evangelize, for those who are raising children, for those trying to be a good example in the the workplace, God cares about the times when you are discouraged while you serve him. Second, second, the call to persevere in building God's house. So now we see the call to persevere in building God's house. As we'll see, for the original audience, it is a call for the people to continue to rebuild the temple. For us, it is a call to persevere and continue in building God's kingdom, in in spreading the gospel. It's a call for us to continue in the work of serving God. Though you might face discouragement as you look back in the past, we are to persevere and stay the course in serving God. God in the present. Notice verses 4 and 5. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, 
declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. So we see three commands. Three commands in these verses. Be strong, work, and fear not. The first command, be strong, is stated three times. Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. So the leaders are exhorted to be strong. The people, the covenant community is exhorted to be strong. And this isn't the first time, right? This isn't the first time in Israel's history where they are given a command to be strong. Listen, we've got several passages here. I just want you to listen to these. You may recall, you may recall as, as Moses spoke to the people of Israel prior to their entrance into the promised land, that he recognized that he wouldn't go with them, right? He's not going into the promised land. He could only see it from afar. He couldn't go in. But Joshua, Joshua would lead them into the promised land. He would be his successor. And in Deuteronomy 31, Moses said this to the people of Israel. 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.7. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Deuteronomy 31, 23, And the Lord commissioned Joshua the son of Nun and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. And then Joshua 1, 5, Here's what the Lord said again to Joshua. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land. Only be strong and very courageous. And then in Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Sounds similar to Haggai, doesn't it? Very similar to Haggai. The commands to be strong and not fear as they go do the task that the Lord is giving them. And it comes with a promise. I am with you. And that's not all. There's another instance of this command in 1 Chronicles 28.20. Perhaps this is one we don't know as well. But King David, say King David, he had it set in his heart that he wants to build a house for God. Right? He wanted to build that first temple for God. The Lord's like, no, 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 you're not going to build the house. Your son, Solomon, he will build the house. Well, David, David gave instructions then to Solomon, and here's what he said. Then David said to Solomon, his son, as he's getting ready to build this house for God, 
Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Actually, let me back up. Be strong and courageous and do it. He has the words do it in there. Do not be afraid. So all three commands, right? Be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. Sounds like Haggai, doesn't it? So entrance into the promised land while living in booths in the wilderness. Be strong. I am with you. Fear not. Instructions at the building of the temple. Be strong and do it. Fear not. I am with you. There's a reminder of God's covenant promise here that he made with his people. And there's a reminder that his spirit will remain in their midst. And that's what the people in Haggai's day hear as they celebrate the festival and as they continue to rebuild the house of the Lord. What a word of assurance. What a word of encouragement. God will be with them. He will not leave them as they rebuild the house of the Lord. God's presence is sufficient to encourage and assure his people to persevere in serving him. God's presence serves to ground and support those who are engaged in his work. His presence was intended to motivate them to further action. And so they're to persevere in working for the Lord, despite how things may seem. They're to stay the course and continue the building project because God is with them. His spirit is in their midst. Third and finally, the promise of coming glory and peace. The promise of coming glory and peace. So look with me now at, at verses 6 through 9. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So now God gives another promise. Having just exhorted them to be strong and continue working on rebuilding the temple, because he is with them, he now provides another reason why they should be strong, do the work, and not fear. He gives them a glimpse into the future. What can encourage them in moments of despair and disappointment is not only the reminder of God's presence being with them in that present time, but also a promise of glory and peace in the future. And that's what we see in, verse, in these verses. In verses 6 and 7, God promises to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. He will shake all the nations so that the treasures will come in, and he will fill this house with glory. Their focus is on this outward, external beauty and glory. The people were discouraged because the glory of this temple and the process of rebuilding it can't compare with the glory, the, the coming glory. 
or its former glory in the days of Solomon, right? So they can't compare it. They're discouraged. And so the Lord gives them a promise that he will shake the world. The heavens, the earth, the sea, the dry land, and the nations. So that the riches of the nations will be used to restore this temple to a greater glory than before. In the Bible, the term shaking is often associated with the appearance of the Lord. Perhaps you've heard the term theophany. A theophany. It's, it's simply a physical, the physical appearance of God to humans. It is the reaction of the world to quake or shake in the presence of God. This language of shaking is also used to refer to the destruction of particular nations, right? It refers to their destruction. It can be used also to refer to a new activity of God on behalf of his people. The Lord says, yet once more. We recognize here that within Israel's history, as God made a covenant with his people at Mount Sinai, in the giving of the Ten Commandments, when God's presence appears, there is a shaking, a trembling that occurs in Exodus 19. You can read the summary of this event in, in Psalm 68. The Lord, he, he led his people from Sinai to his sanctuary. He marched, here's how it's described in Psalm 68, he marched and the earth shook. It quaked. He scattered the nations. And Israel gathered gold and silver and plunder to adorn the Lord's dwelling place at, in Jerusalem. There was a shaking of heaven and earth and of the nation so their plunder would glorify the house of the Lord. The prophets Ezekiel and Joel, they speak of, of, a, of a coming day, a promise of a coming day when the Lord will again shake things up. And now in Haggai, yet once more, in a little while, so this is going to happen again, but not yet. There will be another shaking that will take place. Now listen to Hebrews 12, 26, which quotes Haggai 2, 6. And it shows that there is a greater fulfillment of the promise of coming glory than what they saw or they longed for in this physical structure. Hebrews 12, 26 says this, At that time his voice shook the earth. Speaking of Mount Sinai in the time of Moses. But now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The message then in Haggai closes with a promise in verse 9 that the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So, what does all this mean? I just said a lot. There's a lot here I can say, could say. I'm not going to at this point. I can't cover it all. 
Let me at least make one point here. The imagery of shaking reveals that the Lord's promise of filling this house with glory, which will be more glorious than Solomon's temple, points to a greater fulfillment in Christ and the new creation. Here's how one scholar states it. This promise looks forward to the ultimate theophany, the appearance of the Lord, the day when God would appear to transform the present world order into the final heavenly state. The present visible world order in which the nations were triumphing and the Lord's people found themselves in subjection and poverty is not the way that the world will end. There is a new world order coming through the appearing of the Lord himself. So, as we apply this, as we apply this passage as a whole, three, three points of application I want us to consider as we seek its relevance for our lives. Okay, so number one, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged by a lack of growth in your personal life, in your witnessing, or in the life of the church. Sometimes, Right? Sometimes it feels like we make no progress. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel the way the people of Israel felt as they were rebuilding the temple? Sometimes we might look back on our past successes and achievements and wish we were back then. We wish for the glory days of our past. Maybe, maybe we led people to the Lord. Maybe church was vibrant and every chair was filled. Everyone was serving in ministry. Maybe it felt like there was, there was a, it was a time of revival and, and energy and, and enthusiasm in the Lord. Maybe even in your own life, you felt like, you know what, I'm on fire. I feel like I'm on fire for the Lord. And maybe now, you look at the external things or even internal things in your own life. And you see, it's not, it's just not the way it used to be. And yet you're, you're feeling a little discouraged or a sense of despair. And you just want to give up. Sometimes we don't see results. We go through seasons of life that if we only look to external things, we could become discouraged. But that does not mean that God is not at work in you or in us or in the life of the church. I was reminded of that this morning as Nate shared. And just as I watched the corn grow, Sometimes, maybe in people's minds, the corn just doesn't grow very fast. Man, it shot up pretty fast, I feel like, the last two weeks. Right? The, the, the seed, the, the corn doesn't grow very fast after the seed has been planted. And even then, maybe, 
It's a season of the Lord preparing the soil before the seed is even planted. And, and then before you know it, or at some point in the future, there is a great harvest, one that can't, we can't even imagine. We need to remember, God is at work and God is with us. Jesus' earthly ministry did not appear glorious. Think of his birth. Think of his whole life. It's as nothing, as nothing in people's eyes. They saw a glimpse, the disciples, a few. They saw a glimpse of, they saw a glimpse of his glory at the transfiguration. But because of the cross, he was crowned with glory and honor. He has... He has been glorified, and now we await what? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. When his kingdom will be made visible for all to see. So, all that to say, don't be discouraged. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Number two. So don't be discouraged, number one. Number two, be strong. Be strong in the Lord, right? We saw this. We saw this earlier, right? The command to be strong. This should remind us that our strength doesn't come from within us. We're not born with this strength. It's not having some sort of resolve about us. I, I got to toughen up, right? I just have to have to be tougher. I just got to keep going, as though we somehow somehow have this. Rather, the source of this strength is the Lord Himself. The the Apostle Paul would actually say, "For when I am weak." then I am strong. Human weakness provides the opportunity for God's power and strength to be seen. Human weakness provides, displays the power of God in our lives. When we rely upon God, then we are strong and we can be strong in the Lord. Paul says in Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We need his armor, right? We need his armor. We put on his armor to stand in the battle and march forward in making Christ known and in growing in Christ's likeness. So, in being strong, rely upon the Lord and acknowledge your need for Jesus. Number three, number three, lastly, do the work, right? Do it. Do the work of building God's kingdom because God is with us and the best is yet to come. We haven't been given the command to, to build a physical temple but to go make disciples of all nations. To bring people to Jesus. And we have a promise that Jesus is with us always, even to the end of the age. He will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So as we do the work of making Christ known, remember God is with you and the best is yet to come. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of of the Lord. Haggai's generation died in hope. Haggai's generation died in hope without seeing the fulfillment of the promise. The promise awaited the coming of Christ, the one in whom the fullness of God's glory dwelt. Through his life and his sacrificial death on the cross, he brought us salvation 
and ultimate peace and restoration between God and us. So let's get busy. Let's get busy doing the work that the Lord has for us. Let's proclaim the gospel of peace. Let's proclaim the good news that those who trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior can have peace with God, forgiveness of their sins, and restored relationship with him. And I do, even now, I, I plead with you, if you have not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day to do so. Now is the appropriate time. You can have peace with God. You can have all your sins for forgiven. You can have a restored relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. A day is coming when God's glory will fill the world and his peace will reign forever. This promise of coming glory and peace in God's presence forever is what motivates us, is what can motivate us to not simply dwell in the past. Oh, those were the good old days. Or live lives of despair and discouragement. But his presence and knowing what's coming in the future can enable us and motivate us to press on in building God's kingdom in the present. Might the promise of coming glory and peace and the presence of Christ with us enable us all to persevere in serving God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, we are not discouraged. You are with us. You're with us wherever we go. And so we do pray that as the church, as a new covenant community, we pray that you would use us as a spiritual house to expand your borders, to expand your presence in our own lives and in the lives of others, that you would build your church We give you thanks that we do not labor in vain. Though at times we might feel discouragement, at times we might feel like serving you is just not worth it, or it's not making the progress we want it to make, thank you for constant reminders of your presence being with us, and thank you for constantly giving us a, a call to keep going and keep working for you. And I pray that you would use everyone here to make Jesus known wherever you send them. We'll give you thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship.